Well, good morning, everybody. So here we are, kicking off Advent. Um, I'd always followed it a lot of, uh, in some churches, there's a uh, liturgical tradition in, in a lot of churches where Advent is, is important, as is the rest of the church here. Um, but some Baptists and uh, folk like us, um, around about this time, probably shaped in part by Christmas, um, do start to think more about the idea of um, and the time of Advent and what it actually means. Um, in part to, I guess, rescue ourselves from the kind of commercialism that, that has come to shape this time of year and to really think about what does it mean and to begin to think about anticipating uh, what it is we're actually celebrating at Christmas. So this idea of, um, of Advent, I'm going to signal back to something I said a year ago when I came and, um, and visited um, Margaret River. Um, see if you remember it. So it's, uh, it's a bit like a, um, yeah, a, a little, um, yeah, a little comment. I'll be really happy if you do remember it. Anyway, what I want to talk about is uh, thinking about the idea of hope, not just as kind of generic thing, but how is it that our faith actually shapes what it is that we hope for and and how we hope. We we have lots of plans and um, many wishes, mere wishes you might say, hopes for the future for ourselves, for our families, sort of live well, hope that things go well, um, that we'd be free from calamity. Who wouldn't want that? Our children, that we'd be safe and well and prosper, marry well, have a good life. Fairly conventional things, but, but actually, yeah, important what it means, you know, live, live day to day. Maybe not too much, maybe not, you know, um, excessive hopes for them. In some ways, they are just very ordinary sort of wishes. There's nothing particularly extraordinary about that kind of hope. Um, you might think about hope in terms of being resigned to the way that things are. So maybe having shrink your hopes uh, accordingly. You know, the new here comes the new boss, same as the old boss. Things don't really change. Pretty much everything remains as it is. Can the world really change? How much should we actually hope for? We live in a world where decisions are often made by people far away that have nothing particularly to do with us, mediated through bureaucracies and whatnot. Decisions are made far away by people who may or may not care about us. Who knows? But when we think about hope in the Bible, when we think about the reasons for hope and the way that hope is expressed, we're really going much deeper than that. We're actually cutting down into the sort of depths of what the world is really like, what reality is like, what God is really like. Thinking back a couple of years about this idea of, I guess, hoping is also attached to the idea of waiting, isn't it? You don't, if you have something, you don't have to hope for it. As, um, as Paul says, I think it's in Romans uh, chapter 5, if we, yeah, basically if we have something, we don't have to hope for it, obviously. Waiting in our setting, I suppose, is a bit of a countercultural kind of practice because we want everything now we want everything delivered now we get impatient if actually we don't receive things now what is our due what is our right etc and so when we're reading the bible we're reading a situation where people do learn to wait they do learn to hope they do learn to grow in faith as they wait upon what god is actually doing and i just want to tell two quick stories because people say i don't tell our stories here's some stories for you then about five, six years ago, um, a friend of mine, um, who was about my age, 
uh, went into hospital and he had severe stomach pain. Didn't know what, what it was. It would not go away. And so um, in he went, had some tests done and so forth, and then he came back with um, a Facebook status reporting on what he just had. And he said, well, I'm very grateful for the, uh, you know, the modern technological miracles of morphine. And um, then it was followed up with a chilling prognosis. Uh, it looks like I have uh, cancer and I have 12 months to live. We will know after the weekend. More tests to be done. After the weekend, another test is done. Inconclusive. The bad news, the wanting to be rescued, the crying out to God and so forth that accompanies that. And since this is at Christmas time, so, you know, Merry Christmas. Um, and when you're a friend waiting to hear the news, you know, you kind of off to put on as much a cheery face as you can and you don't want to uh, drag um, others down with you. But if it's your own news, goodness, um, what does it mean to live with that? And so Christians may not fear death in the way that others do, because there is hope for us beyond that in the resurrection. But nonetheless... It's difficult, isn't it? What would it mean to leave others? And this is going to mess with uh, all, all of my life. And so what's the, what news is going to come back? What, what if it is this worst-case scenario? Maybe there'll be some kind of medical intervention. Um, hoping against hope, you might say. Maybe God will do something extraordinary. God has healed before. Maybe he will heal again. And in the meantime, it's about waiting. And during that waiting, what's really fundamental, isn't it, is that where does one place their hope? Maybe medicine will come through, maybe not. Ultimately, where will one place their hope? So Psalm 121 says, where will my hope come from? Come from the Lord, Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth. And then around about the same time, another friend of ours is expecting um, the birth uh, of a daughter. Uh, around about my birthday, 15th of December. Why aren't you writing that down? <laughs> uh, and then on the 16th, the child still not come. 17th, the child had still not come. 18th and so on. I actually can't remember now what the date was that the child eventually came. But again, without some kind of technological intervention, um, some sort of medical intervention by those of greater knowledge and power, she was powerless to do anything more and there's no point of everyone around shouting push push or anything there are things that will come at their time they're powerless to make it come to pass it was not yet time it seems so it makes no difference except to frustrate mother and father to kind of keep talking about is it here is it here is it coming is it coming um very frustrating but the birth of a child of course as we all know i was a being children um, and our parents have probably told us how much uh, sacrifice they made on our behalf but life, the changes have to be made in the household life plans have to be altered some things some are put off altogether the arrival of a child plans one had for life it's not going to happen now um, other things have to be adjusted around that uh, as well the change will come at its own time and the uncertain lead up to the birth anticipation is one of basically delayed action you know what you need to do when it comes, but there's no point pushing an empty pram around 
um, you know, I'll start early and it's pointless. Um, now, they're two very different kind of situations. One is one where one is, I guess, calling and hoping for deliverance, waiting um, and hoping for a change in that regard. And the other is the um, anticipation of a kind of new birth, literally, in this case, uh, a new life, a new beginning, in part. And I think when we're looking at the Gospels here, we think about the story here in Luke, there's an element where both of those things are coming together. And this situation is both a longing for rescue from what has gone before, and then also, on the other hand, the longing for that the world could be changed, that something new, that God would do something new in the world. Rescue from the old, bringing in um, the new. And so when we think about the hopes that we read there in that first chapter of Luke, like I said, it goes deeper um, even than those two expressions, but they give us a clue of what, of what is happening. It's the kind of hope that isn't just about conventional things, it's a hope you might call revolutionary. Because it's really saying that, can the world be different? Is a better world possible? Will those who just benefit from the status quo be challenged? Will the haughty and the prideful, and those who are full of themselves, will they be called to account and brought low? Will the needy and the hungry be filled and included and made whole? Will that thing that we talk about a lot, justice, be something more than, you know, to make things right, be something more than an um, expression of the power of, of the wealthy? Something instead genuinely subject to a moral order in the world, real justice and real change. But if we want that, if we hope for that, it can't be just an abstraction. It has to be a genuine, warranted confidence in something or someone who transcends, that is, who is above and beyond all the things that we have to deal with, above the culture, above the system, above the man, and the darker turns in history, something beyond that. So hope, then for us, if that's what we're really hoping for, has to be something more than something, a quality we whip up in ourselves. It can't be just about directed back towards us changing an attitude. It can't be just a sort of self-referential sort of optimism about things. It has to be something more than that can't be just a sort of flying in the face, you know, wishful thinking, um, yeah, flying in the face of the bad things that happen. It has to be something more than that. So hope is only as good as who or what we are hoping in, the object of our hope. And so when we see the story of Mary, what we've seen read out, it's part of a larger narrative, Elizabeth and Zechariah, if you go back and, and read all of that uh, as well, and, and what we've seen there in the excellent... Um, Music and the songs are sung around this time where we realise that the hope of what we see at Christmas is not just kind of generic, um, you know, happy time of year, giving presents, etc., but the hope of Israel coming to fruition and through the hope of Israel, hope for the whole world, hope for all the nations. So this story draws upon the hope that is embedded in the life of Israel. It's God's covenant people as they watch their own identity and purpose and vocation and failure in that vocation leading to exile and then saying, God, do not cast us away. Please rescue us from the consequence that we've rightly um, seen upon our nation, but we're still in covenant with you. We still love you. You still love us. Please rescue us, restore us, and that is our hope.
So that's steeped in the scriptures. When they, they confronted um, so Mary and uh, uh, Zechariah uh, earlier than that, um, confronted with this message from the angel, the response echoes the prophets, the hope of the prophets. And just like that faithful remnant that's been in Israel through its history and particularly through its time of exile, for hundreds of years they've longed for and waited for and prayed for God's deliverance and action and bringing a new world to be, cultivated faith and obedience and patience about God's promised action to reverse their fortunes and rescue them from their enemies, bring about a new world. That, of course, brings us to this time of year where we say, wait, long for, hope for. How do we anticipate, live in anticipation of what God is about to do? We live after um, the first coming of, of the Messiah, of Christ, and so we're in a different situation, but we need to remember how this has all come about. And on the other hand, we live in anticipation, don't we, of the second coming of Christ. So just as in Israel of old, waiting for God to act, waiting for him to bring some kind of conclusion to, um, to what he has promised, to the story of both hope and defeat, to actually bring the hope, make it real, make the promises real, we also live in an element of that, but with a different sense of security. Israel could look back to the exodus that God had acted on their behalf and maybe he would do it again, a new exodus. And we, we live with the cross and resurrection of Jesus behind us as well as our kind of guarantee. But the world as it is, it's not what it's meant to be yet, is it? We still anticipate that God has much more to do, that he will bring the story to a conclusion based on what he has already achieved in Jesus and in the sending uh, of the Spirit. So there's two kinds of anticipation that we need to live in. The first one is this one as we wait for the um, appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We wait and we say, how do I live faithfully? How do I live patiently? How do I retain faith? How do I remain obedient in anticipation of what uh, God is going to do? can't hurry it up I can't make it happen faster but I can live hopefully patiently in anticipation of that whatever suffering that we go through as awful as it is at the time we anticipate that the end will bring both relief and um, and a reward for our faithfulness during that time so there's the waiting for what we cannot change but there's another aspect of anticipation as well, isn't there? And the other aspect of anticipation is living what you might, what uh, fancy word, proleptically, which is to live in a way as though that reality has already happened. And in effect, that's what Christians do. We live with the reality that the kingdom of God has come into the world through Jesus. It's not fully here. And we can't make it happen. We can't build the kingdom, as some say. But we can live in a way that anticipates right now what the kingdom looks like. We can build for the kingdom. We can do things that look like kingdom things. And God is actually there with us in that. The spirit of God is present amongst us to help that come to be. 
So in the one sense of anticipation, there's nothing we can do to make the second coming happen faster. The way that Israel could not make the coming of the Messiah happen any faster. It was a certain timing. But what they could do is they could prepare themselves for what was to come. And they could live faithfully in light of what God had instructed them to do in light of what was to come. And we need to do both. Look forward, come Lord Jesus, we say. We look forward to that. But for us also, what does it mean to live faithfully in that, in that meantime? The kind of anticipation that begins to live out what we know uh, is to come. There's the anticipation then. That means uh, we can have to delay our action until the time has come, but there's anticipation that inspires action as well to live. And that's the big picture. And then for us, here in, in our community, we're also asking, I suppose, as well, what, uh, what is the future that God has for us within his big picture future? At what point do we say, this is something that God will do, we don't do anything? Or at what point do we say, God has called us to do something, he will do something, and now calls us into action now? And one requires... Well, they both require patience, but one requires courage, doesn't it, to actually live into what God has called us to and what God will actually do. We have a lot of decisions and things to come up here during this next year. Um, and it's important for us, I think, to distinguish between those two senses of anticipating. Find what God calls us to do. Live into it. God is active. God is doing things. We're not waiting for God to kick everything off for us. We live in that in-between time. God is at work. That was a little churchy aside for, <laughs> for, the, for the members here. Just to finish, though, I want us to think again about that big picture and just to remember the, the extent, the size, the shape, the um, massive might say sense of what salvation means to us what god has actually promised so read those texts we read what uh, mary is saying and what zechariah and elizabeth had said and seen before what the angel had said before our salvation is not just a little sliver of our lives just a little tiny part it is god coming and as we said before reclaiming his creation every part of our life is being reclaimed in his kingdom salvation means we are made whole in all parts of our life Sometimes, maybe, we're in a fairly wealthy part of the world. We don't really think about hope because we've got everything managed. But we need to think about where we stand in the big picture of things, of God in the world. How is it that we can be on the side of um, the people that really long for God's action? Sometimes for us it might seem like a, an, uh, an option. Maybe we'll get involved with what God's doing or maybe not. Um, maybe we don't feel that sometimes we sort of need God because yeah life has turned out well for many people but there are always needs amongst us and there are needs wider than here and there are needs wider in the world as well so if God's salvation we believe that to be the case has truly come not just for us but for others then let's anticipate not sit back and wait in that sense but anticipate in the sense of get involved with what God plans 
uh, for everybody. That the hungry would be filled, that the lonely would be befriended, that the powers that abuse the, their power would be challenged. All of those things that, uh, as you can see there in, in Mary's uh, prayer. It's not enough to hope, as we'll see next week, um, and you already see here with Mary. Hope must then go forward in faith. Okay. Faith is the assurance of those things hoped for, uh, the evidence of the things not yet seen, as uh, says in Hebrews chapter 11. So today's theme is about hope, but we never just stop there. We move on to the next thing, too. To hope was expressed in faith, a faith, as Galatians says, that works its way out in love. As we go through Advent this season as well, let's think about what has been promised to us, let's be thankful for what has been given to us, and let's be courageous in actually living out uh, what we've been called to do. Amen.